To what extent were economic conditions the main factors for Hitler's rise to power? Today we are here with the presence of Mr. Gary Nash to help us with this debate. Following World War I, Germany emerged defeated and demoralized, with a shattered economy and its population grappling with anger and humiliation. Undoubtedly, the economic turmoil stemming from the Treaty of Versailles and the Great Depression created conditions that favored the rise of National Socialism. Yet, it wasn't solely economic distress that paved the way for its emergence. The impact of war, social divisions, and the consequent weaknesses of the Weimar Republic provided ground for Hitler to inject demonic life into National Socialism through his demagogic skill. This podcast will analyze the extent to which economic factors contributed to the emergence of Nazi Germany by analyzing all the factors contributing to the rise of Hitler's power. Okay, so let's begin by discussing the economic factors. Um, of course, we all know that after World War I, Germany was growing in debt, and after the uh, term of the Treaty of Versailles that said they had to pay 6.6 billion euros in um, to France after losing the war, uh, this furthered German economic problems. Yes, leaving not only the economy shattered, but its people grappling with humiliation of having to accept defeat from, from the war and having to pay all these reparations. Um, yeah, there was also the idea of blame, which also instigated this need in the German people to uh, get over that and, and to go against the Treaty of Versailles. And in the hyperinflation crisis of 1923, this was very clear. It created this necessity in people to bring Germany back to what it was before the war. Yes, and together with that, the French invasion of the Ruhr, it took 80% of uh, Germany's steel and 70% of its coal production sites, so also further weakening its way of um, regaining its economic status as well. well. The question is, though, how does this really link to Hitler coming to power in Germany? That, yeah. That's the thing, I mean, because in the end, you know, Hitler comes to power, doesn't he, through maybe support from the German people, Yeah, his party growing and support in the in the Reichstag, and also by political intrigue. Yeah, yes. in 1933. Uh, the question now is that you know you're talking about 1923, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Now, how does that help Hitler come to power back in 1923? Not much. <laughs> Not, much. Not much. I think uh, he created basis for him to know that if he was able to frame himself as this messiah, this prophet that could save Germany from that economic crisis, he would be able to emerge and to significantly grow in power. But as we know, it was not until the Wall Street crash that he actually used the economic factors to his complete advantage. Yeah. I think it's also about adding to the distress and the, the situation in Germany that he could exploit to bring uh, solutions in the form of National Socialism. Taylor, uh, he says that in times of distress, men demand authority for their own sake. And I think uh, the extent to which economic factors contributed to Hitler's rise is just that, adding to the distress and giving him this opportunity to come as the solution. So yes. would you say that um, conditions in 1924 You know, were the conditions not right for him to come to power no, in 1924? No, they weren't, because after the, the hyperinflation crisis of 1923, Germany did go through the golden years, and that was a period in which Hitler was not needed nor desired by the German people. But after those golden years, 
with the Wall Street crash and the German economy being very dependent on the U.S. and not being able to have that, like, you know, uh, economic support anymore, it was sort of Hitler's opportunity to regain the German people. And also, after the golden years, the German people knew what uh, the economy could look like. So it was only Hitler who could supply them with those conditions again. Right. I mean, what about Hitler in 1924, for example? Uh, was he ready to take power? Because we have the, the Munich Putsch in 1924. He must have felt confident enough to take power. But he, he wasn't. I think, I think he was confident. It just didn't work. <laughs> it just didn't work. Why yeah. didn't it work? Not enough support. I mean, I think the people weren't ready for the, the weight of national socialism. No, I, think, yeah, I think there was still that. fear. I think there was still fear regarding him and also maybe the conditions weren't scarce enough that a messiah like that was needed, I think. And who was Hitler like yet? I don't think he had the popularity I think to, to get the support he needed yeah, for his movement After to being imprisoned and sort of reflecting over his ideals. Mein and Kampf and Kampf having Kampf, his ideologies um, settled, you know? He was able to explore the, the conditions in Germany with hindsight in that sense, like already knowing what he would and wouldn't be able to achieve. And with the Great Depression, I think, in his head, there was no doubt that that was the right moment to strike Germany and yeah. regain power. Yeah. yeah, it seemed clear in 1924 that he was taking the wrong path. He was trying to come to power through a, a putsch, a revolt, yeah? And uh, the failure of that revolt is very important for him, yeah? I suppose his trial, you know, where he defends himself, you know, the history will absolve me kind of speech, uh, sets him out there as an, an honest man trying to do something for Germany. Yes. Um, he becomes an international figure as well through his trial. You know, everyone in Germany know, knew him after that, before he was basically being based in Munich. Yeah? And of course, the most important thing from that is, is his reformulation of the party. Yeah. Uh, prior to the putsch, his plan was to come to power through force. Yeah? yeah. After going to prison and rethinking his ideas, he comes back with this idea that he's going to get to power through the democratic. He will use democracy to destroy itself. Yeah. Would you say, yeah. in that sense, the economy was less important than political factors? Like, how do those two things weigh in the balance? I think that in, I think that in 1924 he wasn't strong enough to take power didn't have enough support, as Lily quite, right, quite rightly stated. But perhaps the, the German government wasn't weak enough, yeah, as well in 1924, for him to, him to overthrow it, yeah. I think perhaps Weimar was still there. Weimar had a kind of saviour as well, you know, Gustav Stresemann, yeah. coming to power, uh, following this policy of fulfilment, paying the, paying the reparations, introducing the rent and mark, you know, cooperating with, with the Allies and starting to get Germany back on, on yeah. a better track again. Democracy was not weak enough and maybe the, the economy as well. Like, both things weren't in the... People still had hope. Yeah. You know? I think people still had hope in the Weimar Republic. Yeah, in the German in another nation. option. And I think the Nazis couldn't rise with that yeah. still going on. And of course, the, in, in 1924, the army remained loyal to, to Germany. Yeah. But uh -huh. on the impact of the war in general, how does that play into 
Hitler's rise. Like, okay, the economic factors were important, but the stab in the back theory and this idea that there was a common enemy in Germany, was that also important? Like, I think that's very important in the early support, isn't yes. it? He's able to use that yeah, to gain support for himself. I mean, Hitler came up with the stab in the back. It was, yeah. He invented that. Yeah? And also it took away the legitimacy from the democratic government. So the idea that the people in power weren't doing what was best or like most loyal to the German people in that sense. Yeah, even, even Stresemann was seen as a traitor, wasn't he? to the right. Yeah. You know, the policy of fulfillment was a betrayal. Would you say Chesterman was like the last uh, politician that was strong enough before Hitler's emergence? Like what happened when he was out of power? Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. Taylor said question. he was the last one. He was the yeah. last one. And after that, the, the Weimar Republic was in the hand of amateurs. In the hand of amateurs. You, you may well be right there. <laughs> I mean, probably Muller, Muller's coalition probably was the last chance that Weimar Republic had, yeah? I think Muller's coalition collapses in 1930, I think. Uh, <laughs> and maybe if Muller's coalition had managed to force, force through the economic changes which were necessary, could have taken Weimar on a bit further. Which brings us to the, the economic challenges of 1929, yeah? And one of the problems with the Weimar Republic was its um, national insurance support for unemployed people. Yeah? When they set up their national insurance plan, they, they were catering for a maximum of 800,000 people unemployed in Germany. So they had enough money to pay unemployment benefit for 800,000 people. By the time we get to 1930, I'm not sure, about six million people are unemployed. Yeah? <laughs> so you can't pay those people their, their unemployment benefit. And Muller's government That fell on this issue. So there's a massive debate inside the Weimar Republic as to what they should do. Do we increase public spending, yeah, to pay those people their unemployment benefit, or do we cut back? We see this in the world today, don't we? Do we spend yeah. money or do we cut back? And I think in a time of need, uh, it's harder for a democracy to remain uh, stable in that sense. So, you know, the disarmament clause and all these things that dismantled German nationalism, I think they ultimately led to a need or, you know, a desire or even like just passive support for Hitler's emergence. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, but it was this economic issue which really brought Muller's government down because it was the last democratically elected government, yeah, the last chancellor. Muller was a real chancellor. He wanted to increase public spending to help the unemployed, his opposition and Bruning were against increasing public spending. He couldn't get a decision through the Reichstag because of the two extremes, couldn't keep his coalition together, his coalition collapses and Bruning resigns. He actually asked Hindenburg to pass a decree to force through the increase in public spending. Hindenburg refused, yeah? Muller, as a result, his government collapses and then Hindenburg appoints Bruning as the, as the chancellor. And Bruning goes for cutbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And of course that I think like the, the the economy was sort of this concrete demonstration that Germany was suffering a period of downfall of, of economic turmoil. But do you think the war was actually a concern for the German people and for Germany as a nation, or it was more of Hitler's ideological framing of the war like that? Like World his, War One? Yeah. 
that's another good question because I think when most countries went to war, they probably didn't have this extreme nationalism. Yeah, and, and I think this comes in Germany since like Bismarck's <laughs> yeah. ideals of like going to war despite anything and everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that nationalism also grows even more during the war. You know, in Britain and in France and in Germany, you become everyone becomes more more nationalistic during the whole pro whole process. And the the people were lied to, weren't they? You know, the the German military and the Kaiser lied to the people about whether they were winning or losing the war. And then, of course, when the stab in the back theory comes, everyone was amazed, shocked that they were losing the war. Yeah, and consequently. Everyone wants to blame somebody. And this is where we get, you know, and Hitler Hitler's redirected skill. the blame that the Germans were feeling for themselves yeah. into the minorities yeah. that he targeted with the Nazi ideology. So Absolutely. he's built upon this feeling of humiliation and transferred yeah. this sentiment from the German people to the ones that he wanted to target, the Jews, the communists, and, you and know, building a... this, this indirect... Uh, support for the Nazi ideologies from the start. And that's one of the main takeaways from World War One to his rights to power. Um, the start of his of the spread of the Nazi ideology and once again also adding to the panic and the distress and the need and the seek for a leader figure, a leader that could take control and bring um, peace to Germany. You know, absolutely, to absolutely. Because there was a feeling that Weimar was weak, wasn't it? You know, right from the start, as that question comes up, was was the Weimar Republic doomed? You know, yeah. did it have to fall? Yeah, you know? I think Jay Lee says that he was a prophet of doom. So maybe like the fact that he was able to frame the Weimar Republic like that and see the weakness in the democratic system sort of made it um, possible that he used that to his advantage. Yeah, I mean, that's what was. I'm not so who so said it. I'm not sure, but the Weimar <laughs> Republic, they say, was unwanted and unloved. That's what they I say. I don't know who Somebody said that. Somebody said that. I can't remember. But it was unwanted and unloved. So, you know, the German people didn't want it. You know, it was forced, enforced upon them by Wilson and the Allies at the end of the yes. war. Um, and, of course, it became unloved because it the Germans and their desire for the for the leader figure yeah yes. and of course their democracy was not seen as strong you know yeah. it was seen as weak it was a, a government that was linked to France and Britain and the United States and not truly yeah. German and in of course sense. in in the Weimar constitution itself there was uh, the article 48 and the enabling act which were very tactically used I, by Hitler I think like from the start the divisions within the the Weimar Republic and um, the coalition governments becoming a norm and the lack of stability. Nothing could ever work with an anti-Weimar, uh, communist, anti-democratic uh, majority in the, in the Reichstag. Mm. This, this, this whole system could never work. It was doomed. Yes, and I think also the Weimar leaders thought that Hitler was under their control to an extent. And Well, I think it was also an act of appeasement by putting him as vice-chancellor, right, at the start. But um, they were wrong, and their, their hopes that Hitler would just be a part of their government and sort of stay... He waited, they decided. Yeah, yeah so yeah. They, they offered him the vice-chancellorship first, which of course he turns down, and then 
gets the, the whole chancellorship with Papen saying that he could control him. Definitely. Yeah, uh, mice in the corner, right? Yeah. Like mouths in the corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but there's, coming back to that economics thing, because there's one big group of people which support Hitler. Well, there are a couple of people. I mean, which groups of people support Hitler? Does everybody support it? No. I mean, we see, we, we see quite clearly perhaps the, the industrialists, you know, and the, uh, the big landowners. These people support Hitler. They were ones who funded him, yes. you know, because they were scared of communism. Yeah, they, they were worried about what would happen, so they were supporting him. Uh, the working classes tend to be rather split. Between yeah. the communists and the, and the... And the Nazis in actual fact, but on the whole they still stay a bit more to the left. Yeah, but the group, big group that shift are the middle classes. Yeah, the middle classes are the ones that are hit mostly by the economic problems. They're hit harder because they they depend on their savings. You know, these people have worked hard. They put their savings aside, got a nice little store in the bank. Bang! It, along comes hyperinflation, and all their savings have gone. You know, and these are the people that didn't go left towards the communists. They went right towards the Nazis. Yeah because they saw in the Nazis a way of stopping them from becoming like the working classes. You know, they want to be middle classes, they like it. And there's a feeling that Hitler can protect them from, from communism. So perhaps this economic shift, yeah, this economic problem, shifts the middle classes towards the Nazis. And that's why Hitler's support inside the Reichstag starts, starts to really increase. Yeah? So he goes through this very quiet period from 24 to 29. Great Depression comes, he comes back, he's reorganized the party. They're now a legitimate political party. He's got the the gals all over, all over, all over Germany. And uh, they're ready for those elections. And support starts to increase. He's got the same ideology as he had back in 1923, yeah? But now the conditions suit him much better, yeah? yeah? There's more unemployed, so there's people going to be attracted to his party. After the... the failed attempt to take power in 1923, would you say that in the context of his rise, violence didn't play a significant role? Under what circumstance can we argue that violence was equally important or even more important than economic factors in Hitler's rise? I don't think we can say it's more important. I think it does play a role. Yeah, I think his use of violence uh, with, with, the, with his stormtroopers, yeah. you know, the beating up of um, other political parties, and I the think attacks upon the communists. He wasn't afraid to kill people or like to threaten people in his party who weren't completely aligned with him. I think Hitler, in essence, didn't believe that he had to like be, you know, just agree with the majority. He believed in his ideology and he believed he was able to convert everyone else to believe in whatever he believed. It showed his confidence, his yes. force showed what he was capable of doing and how sure he was of what he was doing. But of course, after that failed attempt, I think he started to understand that only through opportunism and like the conditions that were available to him, he would be able to rise and then, you know, put his ideology in action. Definitely. I think he, you know, he, he realized his force isn't the way, definitely use the parliamentary system to, to bring the parliamentary system down. And he could see the weaknesses in people, yeah? He was a brilliant speaker, wasn't he? You know, a demagogue, a great orator. And, and when you talk to people, they, they talk about how they were mesmerized by him, how they believed in everything he said. You know, Hitler had a pretty good understanding of, 
of humans, yeah, <laughs> uh, and their capacity to forget. Yeah, so one of the techniques that he uses a lot is in his speeches is to repeat the same thing over and over again until it becomes kind of you know, indoctrinated in, into them. Yeah, don't make complicated speeches. Uh, don't make complicated speech, speeches. No, keep it simple. Repeat the same yeah. point, and people Appeal will take it people. in and, and believe it. Yeah. Uh, the use of scapegoats. You know, when you're down and out and unemployed, you don't want someone coming up to you and saying you're just lazy. Get up and go get yourself a job. No. You want someone to come up to you and say, look, it's okay. Don't worry. It's not your fault. You're unemployed. You it's need that. Someone to relate to yeah. your problems yeah. to show you that your issues and your concerns are valid, yeah. and that he is willing to to solve these issues yeah. for you Absolutely. with a solution that's practical stressing the man in yes. the issue i think that's what he 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 manages to do with the economic conditions and how he appeals to the middle class by stressing the importance of the man in the economy and how this attracts these people to his solution you know feeling heard feeling feeling there's someone who who cares for their needs you know i think and that's who cares for for the future of the german nation as well you know, bring and is nationalistic and and believes in German pride and wants to restore German morale and and doesn't accept any of these ideas. Doesn't that accept German defeat. Doesn't, doesn't accept, accept the blame caused in the Treaty of Versailles and doesn't accept that there is no viable solution for Germany. Yeah. Well, wow. interesting ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to come back to those weaknesses of the Weimar Republic. You know, that's quite interesting because, you know, the Nazis saw their policies as very decadent, you know. They were very decadent. If you went into Berlin and you were in the, the cabaret or whatever, you had all these women uh, wearing suits with short hair, smoking, you know, um, a very liberal culture in, in Berlin. And, of course, Hitler played upon this, you know, as you know, Germany is becoming decadent. And of course, the, the, the conservative groups inside uh, Germany were attracted to the, to the Nazi party because of that, you know, because they didn't like all these, mor you know, these morals, <laughs> destroying people's morals, you know, it wasn't acceptable, you know. So policies that the Weimar Republic followed were what made them unpopular amongst yeah. the older, more conservative elements. Yeah, not yeah. only was Hitler protecting um, his people from the defeat of, of World War One, but also from this common enemy, like communism. So even when he puts Article 8 into effect and went into the state of emergency, he framed it as, ah, I'm saving Germany, I'm doing what's best for the country. And it was a very effective means of being in power. In. Would you say there was a, a chance of, of saving Weimar? Would you say there was a chance it wasn't it wouldn't fail at the time? That that's Would, the well, that's the, debate. <laughs> the, the, the the idea that Hitler was the destiny for the German people. It if dates the all Bruni the way experiments back. Experiments hadn't occurred. If uh, coalition governments had, um, you know, struggled on for more years. Would you? Do you think this is a debate, isn't it, as to whether if it hadn't been for Hitler, there would have been someone else? Yeah. You know, that's just I, I don't know about that. <laughs> not about to be trying to predict history, are we, at this point? But no, I would say another turning point, another turning point for my for, for Weimar, of course, was Hindenburg becoming elected president. Yeah. Was it nineteen twenty-five? Hindenburg becomes president. I'm not too sure of the year, but 
you know, he'd been head of the German army, hadn't he? Yeah, yes. and now he's become president of Germany. And of course, Hindenburg didn't really believe in yeah, democracy. 25. 25. He didn't really believe in democracy. So he was very quick to use the, the emergency decrees, Article 48. Yeah, he had no qualms about that. Yeah. So this enabled him then to appoint Bruning, appoint Papen, you know, Schleicher, yeah, uh, by using Article 48. And so once. So what people talk about is that when Muller's uh, coalition fell, there was no more democracy inside Germany. Yeah, the Weimar Republic finished with the fall of Muller yeah, and his coalition. And from that point on, Germany is really ruled by uh, Hindenburg and whichever chancellor he has put into power at that time, because it's just Article 48. So Weimar had died already in 1930. Yeah? Uh, it's just that Hitler buries it. Yeah, he comes in, puts it in the coffin, and says, "Off you go." <laughs> Through you know? the enabling act, would you say, or yeah, I, I suppose the enabling act is the yeah. is the burying, isn't it, of, yeah. of Weimar? But Weimar had been dead for some time. Yeah, so why does Hitler come to power? Yeah, so yeah, Weimar's dead in thirty. Hitler comes to power in thirty three. So, and by thirty three, the economy was starting to improve. You know, support for Hitler was going down. In 1933, yes. the election results show there'd been a dip in support for him. Yeah, so why was he able to come to power then in 1933? Maybe because the Weimar was done, but there was no one to replace the government. No one with such a strong stance to replace the Weimar. Perhaps. Where would the Germans look if it wasn't to him? But were the, the Germans time? looking? Ah, it's the communist threats. It's the. It's communist the threat. It's. The fear of, of something happening and there not being uh, an escape goal. There not right. being another exit. Well, let's put it this way. Hindenburg's been running the country since 1930 through presidential decree and his things, right? The economy is starting to improve in 1933. If the economy continues to improve, what will happen? To, to democracy inside Germany? Will we go back to a more democratic system? Will we get a, a more moderate yes, electorate? Yeah, mm -hmm. so very likely. So if the economy continues to improve after 33, everyone will become more moderate again, start voting for the center parties. The Weimar Republic perhaps would have started to work again because people have been voting for the SPD or the more middle, middle right parties, yeah? And I think that Hindenburg and his conservative people at the top were aware of that. And they've been running the country for some time now. Yeah? And Did therefore, he die? 34. Oh. Yeah, after, after, after the Enabling Act. Yeah, the Enabling Act is 33, and then, and then Hindenburg's at the beginning of 34, which is when Hitler becomes Fuhrer. Yeah? So as the economy starts to improve, that means that Germany might go back to democracy. Does Hindenburg and Bruning and von Papen want democracy in Germany? No, because they've been happily ruling the country as a dictatorship, yeah, for the last three years. For how do we stop democracy returning to Germany? We invite Hitler to join our government, yeah. right? So inviting Hitler to join was a way of making sure that the right could control politics. They didn't thought, want to shift back to the left. I've always thought they, they thought they would have Hitler under their control and be able to maintain democracy in Germany until the Reichstag fire and then Hitler was able to use the communist threat as a means of 
of well, I think passing maybe, the Enabling Act? Maybe they wanted some democracy, but but not a democracy where we would shift back to centre to centre left. I think they would have been much happier having a, a right wing kind of elected government. But were they happy to have Hitler take over themselves? Because no, I think they they didn't know Hitler no. would do that. He they still believed they could use they could use him as a tool. Uh, until the end, but you know he he surprised them. Um, yeah. They weren't they weren't aware of that. Yeah, so you bring you bring Hitler in as Chancellor, therefore he the, the 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 Weimar Republic can function again because he's got all these seats in the Weimar Republic. But you'll be able to control the Weimar Republic and who's in it, yeah, from that point on, yeah. Um, not inviting him in meant nothing would happen, yeah but it could shift back towards the left and they didn't want that. They didn't want the SPD coming back in and being influential again. They didn't want to go back to this decadent Weimar Republic with all these modern ideas of how people should behave. Nah? And so it was a way to preserve what they, they gained. They didn't realize that the enabling law was, would happen. You're right, they thought they could control it. Yeah, but then would you say that the, the weakness of the Weimar government can't be considered one of the main factors because it was already dead since the 1930s? Like, how do you weight that in the balance with economic factors and ideology and propaganda? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think weaknesses of Weimar are, are vitally important, aren't they? I think yeah. it's one of the most important, uh, important factors, yeah? If, but if Weimar, if the economic conditions hadn't been there, then Hitler couldn't come to power. Yeah. You know, we see, we see two processes at work, don't we? And when we look at Stephen J. Lee and his, his views on the whole process, um, you know, there, are, there is Hitler's role in it, which we know as the great speaker, the ideas man, yeah? Um, the way he organizes the party, you know, um, his leadership skills are second to none in, in, that, in that sense. But then he couldn't come to power without the, the conditions, the historical conditions. Yes. Yeah? And um, the, the weaknesses of Weimar, the economic problems play a vital role in creating the condition, yeah? And I would probably say the economic factors are the most important. Yes. Yeah? But... Um, particularly the Wall Street crash. Particularly the crash and the failure to deal with the unemployment situation inside Germany. So I think those two factors are probably of equal importance. Yeah. yeah? But it, definitely, Hitler couldn't come to power without the conditions. And we saw that from 24, with the failure in 24, the conditions weren't there for him to come to power. But by 33, they were. Yeah? And I think that probably is, is the key, isn't it? Yes.